Welcome to the Stephen Thompson Experience. This is Stephen Thompson and this is my experience. Well, this season I am looking at leadership tips and I'm drawing inspiration from the Stevie Wonder album Songs in the Key of Life. And this is the seventh episode of this season. I've done seven songs. And this week, the focus and the song is going to be Have a Talk with God. We're going to talk about the role of spirituality and decision making and relating it to it as a leader. We'll also talk a little bit about mathematical decision making and empathy in your leadership. So as I've discussed, at Songs in the Key of Life, after 40 years, is still considered a landmark album in the United States, all over the world in fact. Read this week that Elton John says that when he travels, he still carries a copy of this album. So we have established that Songs in the Key of Life has just been an incredible, incredible inspiration to a lot of people. Also, it has been an award-winning album, and it still stands today, 40-some-odd years after its original release in 1976. So let's jump on into this. The song is called Have a Talk with God. And I want to read a little bit of the lyrics to Have a Talk with God, as I always do when I start the show out, and then talk about how these lyrics relate to a leadership practice. So here we go. Stevie begins the song by saying there are people who let the problems of today lead them to conclude that for them life is not the way. But every problem has an answer, and if yours you cannot find, you should talk it over to him. He'll give you peace of mind. When you feel your life's too hard, just go have a talk with God. Many of us feel we walk alone without a friend, never communicating with the one who lives within, forgetting all about the one who never lets you down, and you can talk to him anytime he's around. When you feel your life's too hard, just go have a talk with God. Well, he's the only free psychiatrist that's known throughout the world for solving the problems of all men, women, little boys, and girls. When you feel your life's too hard, just go have a talk with God. Now, what's interesting about this song is that one of the reviewers of the album did not particularly care for this song. I want to read you a little bit about an interview in 1976, this was Rolling Stone Magazine's original review of Songs in the Key of Life. Now, it was a very positive review of the album Songs in the Key of Life, but when it came down to have a talk with God, this is sort of what the reviewer said. Wonder's lyrics aren't clever or particularly intelligent, but at their best, they're instinctive, straightforward, and touchingly sincere. Unfortunately, at their worst, they're convoluted, awkward, atrociously rhymed and so tangled up in their pretension to poetic style that they become almost comical. Songs in the Key of Life has more than its share of wonder at its worst. Have a Talk with God suggests he's the only free psychiatrist that's known throughout the world. Now, that's, that's pretty harsh in, in the context of, you know, the criticism of his lyrics. But there's always something behind those lyrics, and there's always something behind a story. And this is the first thing that I want us to know. As a leader, when someone comes to you with a story, there's something behind that story. And there's a reason why they told you that story. And our first response cannot be criticism of that story. No matter what we believe about it, how the story was delivered, should not be a basis for dismissal. Now, if somebody comes to you and they're cursing and they're swearing, that's a different issue. But in most situations, when someone comes to you with a story and they deliver it to you, there's a specific reason 
why they are telling that story and where that story came from and where that story could have originated from. So let's talk a little bit about Have a Talk with God. 1973, just after he released his albums Inversions, which is another great Stevie Wonder album, Stevie was involved in a terrible car accident. And that car accident left him comatose for five days. Now, he'd been riding in the front seat of a rental car in North Carolina, because we all know that Stevie Wonder's blind and he doesn't drive. The vehicle struck the back of a flatbed truck. Now, some people say, even Stevie Wonder's mother, that the truck was carrying logs, and those logs came through the windshield of the car that Wonder was riding in with his cousin. His cousin was driving the car. Now, the truck driver and Wonder himself indicate that there weren't logs, that the bed of the truck came through the windshield. And Wonder was asleep during the accident when it occurred, and he was knocked unconscious. And then he suffered serious head trauma. And he was hospitalized in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. He fell into a coma. He had severe bleeding. Media outlets from the world were scrambling to get information on what happened. Several superstars, including Roberta Flack, Paul McCartney, Jackson 5, all reached out to him. Later, when Wonder came out of that, as he came out of that, and we have songs in the Key of Life today, and they interviewed him about this time. And he says, in his interview, he said he had gotten into some regrettable behavior while he was on the road with the Rolling Stones in 1972. And that accident that he had renewed his spiritual focus. He said in an interview in 1984, I think subconsciously it made me more sensitive to my life, Wonder would say in 1984, my own self inside more than anything that anyone could physically see. I think we were rushing a lot back then and performing a lot and moving a lot. I'm not saying that we were living a wild life, but there was the direction things were going in. There was no true direction. First thing here is, what triggers a life? A talk with God. Well, a life-altering event triggers a talk with God. But sometimes people say, well, that's foolish. That's foolishness. Scientifically, spirituality, God, those things don't, aren't really compatible. But I want to give you a different way to look at this. Science and spirituality are not natural enemies. And I'm going to make an argument that having a talk with God is a mathematical logical reason explanation and you will occur that occur this will occur on a day-to-day basis usually in your leadership so here's what i want to say a gallup survey recently 2017 said nine out of ten americans still believe in god well so nine out of ten people believe in god so if nine out of ten people believe in god that means that god will will come up at some point Now, a paper written by Jane Symington, she's a trauma specialist, faculty of nursing, University of Alberta in Canada. She wrote a paper called Trauma and Disassociation, Neurological and Spiritual Perspectives. And in her paper, she talks first about what is defined by the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, defining trauma. Trauma is an event involving actual or imagined threat of death or serious injury to self or others or a response to intense fear, helplessness, or horror in reaction to a traumatic event. A traumatic experience triggers the fight-flight response. 
If the emotional terror is severe, the automatic nervous system can become overwhelmed, resulting in a freeze response. In these cases, the physical body loses its ability to respond, the senses are dull, and the mind disassociates from the body, reducing physical and emotional stress. So, you have 9 out of 10 Americans who believe in God. Most of us are going to have a traumatic event in our life. So, when we have a traumatic event in our life, 9 out of 10 people, the majority of people are going to talk about God in response to that traumatic event. And that fits right on in with mathematical decision-making and logic. And for instance, mathematical decision-making from Tim Rugula at Penn State University. Mathematics is a language interwoven in the everyday moments of the world around us. It is universally, often surprisingly, in its application and can reveal previously hidden patterns and information about the workings of the world. And I think that's key. We know with numbers, 9 out of 10 Americans believe in God. So if 9 out of 10 Americans believe in God, and we also know that people are going to have, a great number of people will experience traumatic events on a daily basis. So if we know the people, mathematically we know that 9 out of 10 people believe in God, then people are going to have a traumatic event, then we can make the prediction that if something happens, people are going to talk about God. And that's consistent, that's logical, people will talk about God. Also, you can't have America and American history without talking about people and people talking about God and people talking about who believed in God. Let's talk for, take it for an example. Harvard University is one of the most well-known universities in the United States. People always say, you want to go to Harvard, you got to graduate from Harvard. He's a Harvard graduate. Tons of cliches out there on Harvard. Harvard was founded in 1836, and the purpose of Harvard was to train clergy. John Harvard was the, one of the founders of Harvard University. John Harvard was a minister and a Puritan. Harvard died in 1638, and he was only 30 years old. Now, his desire to start a school arose from his fear that the congregation he left behind when he died would be illiterate. So we see that, and there, there are many, many cases throughout American history where we see the role of religion. Now, we also know that horrible crimes were perpetuated, you know, in the name of religion. Native Americans in the missions of California, slavery in the United States. There's also heroic stories of ministers throughout American history. Let's talk about Josiah Henson. Josiah Henson was a slave, born a slave, and he would go around the country preaching talking about God. And as he talked about God around the country, he was raising money in order to buy his freedom. And he raised enough money to buy his freedom. He went to plantation and, and, and gave over money to the plantation owner. And the plantation owner took his money and then sent him to New Orleans to sell him. He didn't give him his freedom. He took his money and sent him to New Orleans to sell him back into slavery. So now Henson is on the way to New Orleans to 
be sold into slavery again. Doesn't get his freedom. So he ends up escaping and going through Kentucky to Ohio and later into Canada. And once he gets into Canada, he finds work on a farm and he also begins to preach. And as he begins to preach, he realizes that he can't read. He's just preaching sermons based upon things that he's heard and he learns how to read. And after he learns how to read, he then begins to do a lot of great work in the Underground Railroad and helping other people get out of slavery from the United States of America. In fact, the book Uncle Tom's Cabin by Harriet Beecher Stowe, a lot of Uncle Tom's Cabin was drawn from Josiah's life. So what do we do that? What do we do with all of that? Well, empathy. Why Halvey, a Jewish scholar, says this, Connecting with the narrative of another person is a key to solving conflicts. You see, people are going to talk about spiritual issues in the workplace. We've seen that predicted mathematically. But don't use your spirituality as a form of manipulating people to adopt your particular viewpoint of life. And also don't use it as a point to dismiss somebody or be scared to talk about it. You can use it as an opportunity to connect with another person through the bias you have. And that way, you won't drive a wedge. You won't drive a wedge if you connect with people from a place of empathy. But how do we do that? What do we do? What do we do to connect with people, take on another person's narrative? How do we do that? Well, the tip I'm going to leave you with today as a leader, I want you to remember this. And I want us to do this. I want us to be curious. I want us to be curious. Curious. Robert Morrill, Ph.D., faculty on, at USC and University of Washington School of Medicines, he says that, you know, wrote a paper called The Power of Curiosity and how to use this essential tool to understand different opinions. And then he goes on to talk about how when you are curious, you have the ability to do better in your workplace, negotiations, Make your company more profitable. Help other people when you are curious. How does one become curious? Well, I'm going to give you something that's really easy. You're curious by asking questions. Asking questions. A great book for you to go pick up. It's called The Coaching Habit by Michael Bungray Stainer. Say less, ask more, and change the way you lead forever. And it's a great book. I would highly recommend reading it. But he gives seven questions to ask in a relationship. But the key he says is this. Avoid the advice monster. So what's the advice monster? Well, the advice monster is simply telling someone what to do before they ask you. Instead, be curious. Now think about this. When the reviewer of Songs in a Key of Life and Have a Talk with God, he called the lyrics... We saw what he said about the lyrics. He said that the lyrics to Have a Talk with God were Stevie Wonder at his worst. 
But what if he were curious? Wondered where that came from? Heard about his accident that he had? How that triggered a response in Stevie Wonder to really change how he was living? And that, that would have came out of curiosity. So when people come to you, don't be annoyed with them. Don't dismiss them. But be curious. Be curious about why they're there. Be curious why they're in front of you and have a talk with them. It's not about the existence or not existence about God or adjudicating that. It's about connecting with that person's narrative. And if you connect with that person's narrative, you will get farther. Remember, is it mathematically logical? If 9 out of 10 people believe in God and they come to you to talk about a spiritual issue, they then say, well, God doesn't exist. How, how do you know God's exist? Well, in that mind, that has been adjudicated already. They're not coming to you to get a conversion experience. They're coming to you to get a connection experience. And a connection experience is something that we can give to everybody when we lead from a position of curiosity. I saw a great webinar by Lewis Howes today. And he said, are you either the king of diamonds, king or queen of diamonds, or the king and queen of hearts? And he was talking about in the context of how you play life, branding, your leadership. So in your leadership, are you the king of diamonds or are you the king of hearts? The king of diamonds... And the queen of diamonds, you're leading to make more money. You're leading for yourself because diamonds are considered very valuable. And you're leading from that perspective. I'm going to make more. I'm going to get more. But king and queen of hearts, leading from the heart, leads to connection. It's about building a relationship with the person that you lead, the team that you work with. So you lead from a position of heart. I care about you. I want to connect with you. I don't want to force you to do something against your will. I don't want to demean what you believe in. I don't want to think that I'm better than you. I want to connect with you. Have a talk with God. Connect with people. This is Stephen Thompson, and this is my experience.